Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Those are the first five verses of Psalm 103, which is the psalm appointed for today, Saturday, January the 1st, 2022. So you're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Today, we we have a special celebration in the liturgical calendar, and, and that celebration is the Feast of the Holy Name, because on the eighth day after uh, birth, then Jesus would have been circumcised, and that's when he would have been given his name. That's when when his parents would have brought him to uh, the rabbi who would have circumcised him, and they would have named him, and his name would be Jesus, where the Lord saves. And so his name would also tell his mission. The whole reason that he was here, and he had been, that the name had been given by the angel archangel, actually, Gabriel, who had also given the name John to Zechariah to name his son, who would be born out of time. And so this the covenant is established with that child. It's brought into the covenant community through the sacrament of circumcision. In a keeping with the passage that we're going to read here in just a second from Genesis 17, which is the first 16 verses of that chapter. And then we're going to be in John's Gospel in chapter 16, verses 23 to 30, and then in Colossians 2, 6 to 12. So, let's get started with the Abraham lesson. When Abraham, when Abram actually, sorry, was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. So, so Abraham is given... A commandment, walk before me and be blameless. What's the problem <laughs> at some level with that? And, and the problem, as it were, is just that there's no law at this point in time. And so he, he is simply told to walk before the Lord and be blameless. In other words, let your conduct be blameless. Um, it, it's not with respect to the entirety of the law, but he's telling him that he, he is to walk before the Lord who will bless him and who will make the covenant between the two of them. And Abram fell on his face, as you would, <laughs> when God speaks. And God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, for your name shall be Abraham. Before he was, the the name Abram means exalted father, and then the name Abraham means father of nations. So it's going, or father of a multitude is probably a better way to translate it. And so what we get is, is that the, um, his name is going to be changed to reflect that he's more than just a father. He's the father of multitudes, which feels odd if you know the story, because, well, He's the father of one, but not in the Jewish way of thinking. If you, if you look at, for instance, the Cain and Abel story, Cain is a mass murderer. And you know, how could that possibly be? He only killed one guy. He killed Abel. Well, the way that they look at it is he would have killed all the generations that would have come from Abel. 
So there's an entire line of people that have been wiped out. Now, those people never existed, but they, their potential existed as though they had already realized that potential. And so, so to call Abraham the father of multitudes is perfectly correct in Jewish thinking. And it's something we should actually get our heads around too. And so he is the father of multitudes, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. Not just the Jewish nation, but also all those, you remember he's already had a child here. Um, he had the child Ishmael, who becomes the, the father of the uh, Islamic tribes. And then also, ultimately, he is, Abraham is the father of many nations through faith and the extension of the covenant through Jesus, who comes from Abraham. He says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Sounds good, right? I mean, but remember, one, one is literally how many children he has after this. And so exceedingly fruitful, though, is something that's passed down through the generations. And I'll make you into nations and kings shall come from you. And I'll establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I'll give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. So he makes a promise for what will happen, and Abraham believes these promises. So there's this the, the nations, and then there's his offspring. So those two are distinguished from one another. The offspring are the ones who receive the land, and those are the people that we know as Jews. The others, the covenant of the land is not with them. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. And this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You'll be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it'll be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he who is born in your house and who is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So everybody in the land who is other than a sojourner is going to be circumcised. So... Shall my covenant be in your flesh an everlasting covenant? Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So the failure to circumcise means that you have been cut off. You've, you have decided, either you or your parents, have decided not to participate in the covenant. And it's an intentional decision to do that. And so he says you're going to be cut off. You're not going to be part of the covenant community if you fail to do that. And remember, when Moses comes back to Egypt to lead the people, his children have to be circumcised because they had not been at that time. And and if he doesn't do that, if that's not taken care of, then they're not going to be part of the covenant. And and Moses can't then properly be the one to return the people from Egypt. And then God said to Abram, as for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And that both those words mean princess. I'll bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of peoples shall come from her. And so what's happening is, is that God is asserting the right in the covenant to name or rename 
Abram and Sarai. And so it's his prerogative to do that because he is now adopting them as his own and blessing them in that way. In the same way that Adam is allowed to give names to the animals who will fall under his dominion and also to his wife who is under his dominion as well. In the gospel lesson, you'd expect... (laughs) at least I did, to read about Jesus' presentation at the temple, but that's not what we're going to get at all. Jesus here is is speaking to the disciples, and this is in the upper room of the night of his arrest. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give to you. Until now you've asked nothing in my name. Ask and you'll receive that your joy may be full. In other words, you're not going to ask me directly. You'll go to the Father and you'll use my name and ask him for things. This is, you're going to have a direct relationship with him. Now, it's mediated through Christ because he is the one who is resurrected from the dead. He's the one who lived a perfectly sinless life. He is our mediator in that way, but we are brought into his family as brothers and sisters. And so when we come to the Father, we do so in the name of Jesus, in in that we are covered in his blood, which makes us acceptable, which makes us into his children. And you're going to see how that works in this next little bit. I've said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour's coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you'll ask in my name, and I don't say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you. Why? Because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. So based on that faith, those two things, because you loved me and believed that I came from God, then the Father loves us if we believe those two things. If we love his Son and we believe that he came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I'm leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples says, ah, now you're speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and don't need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. You're showing us knowledge. Well, what did he say in a single bit of that <laughs> that would have given them that assurance? It, he didn't say anything. He spoke plainly, except they're not sure where he's going. They have no earthly idea what it means that he's going to the Father. They certainly don't have any expectation that the next thing that's going to happen will be the crucifixion. But Jesus says if we come in his name, the importance of name here is the thing that sticks out more than anything else. So our plea to God is in the name of the Lord saves. It's the same as Joshua is the name. It's just not an uncommon name in Judaism, but, but it, what it does is it, it expresses the work that Jesus did, and to believe in his name is to believe in the truth of that statement. In the same way that Abraham is called to believe the Lord for what he is going to do, and, and I didn't um, say it exactly right, actually, at, at one point. Um, the, I, I read the translation as it said it, but, but the translation is, is wrong. 
It, it says this about Sarah, I will bless her, and moreover, the translation says, I will give you a son by her. That's not the actual Hebrew. The, the actual Hebrew is past tense. I've given you a son. It's not a future tense. It, it's, it's a statement that God's already done this thing. Whether it's visible in the natural or not, he's already done it. It's the way the Hebrew reads there. And it's the same with all these things of Jesus. Jesus is speaking in the same way. He's saying this is what's going to happen as though it already had happened. He's telling them what will be. But, but the way that he's saying it is to say this is such a certainty that you won't have to ask me anything about this later because I'm telling you now how it's going to be. There's no question, no doubt, that it's going to go down exactly that way. And so the way that he speaks is to speak of the things that are to be as though they already were. And it's the same with Abraham there. In the Colossians passage, Paul says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Don't just believe. Live into that. Walk in that. Rooted and built up in him and and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, we've just recently passed through Thanksgiving, right? But one of the things that, that I had a conversation this morning, actually, at the gym with a friend of mine, and one of the things we were talking about was is that, that our inability to express gratitude, to live lives of gratitude and thanksgiving for him. We, we tend to put our heads down. You know, I, I don't see in my own life, and I don't see in, in um, a lot of Christians, I don't see that joy and gratitude for all that the Lord has done for us. Because everything you have is a result of His blessing in your life. Everything, all your hopes in Him in, for eternal life, that's all through Jesus, not through anything else. And so the only response we can really have, there are two responses, I guess. One is gratitude and the other is love. Those things show that we believe those things to be true now. We have those things. We possess those things, whether it looks like it or not, and whether we have the current enjoyment of that or not, we possess all things, including eternal life. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Don't let people come in here and teach you other stuff, that that there's a way of getting this. This philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, means that, that you don't have to do all these other things in order to possess this. It's all done in Christ. All the work necessary for you to have salvation and eternal life was done on the cross 2,000 years ago. And, I'll have to add this to that statement, that all the work that was done includes the crucifixion, but it also includes the life of Jesus. It includes the incarnation and the entirety of his life lived in blameless obedience to the Father, a sinless life. So all of that life mattered as well as the crucifixion. If he hadn't lived a perfect and sinless life, then the crucifixion wouldn't have had the meaning that it does for us. So the one thing that we, we have to always remind ourselves is, is that not, it's not just the cross that's the work Jesus came to do. It, it's, it's the incarnation, the coming, the choosing to come to earth to be a willing sacrifice, but then living a life completely in obedience to the will of the Father, beginning to end every second of that life.
for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. In other words, that same power that raised Jesus from the dead raised you from the dead in baptism. You were dead in your sins. You were raised to life again no less than Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to a new life exactly in the way that he spoke about with Nicodemus. You've got to be born of water in the Spirit. And so it's the combination of baptism and God's work of the Spirit. Our obedience is baptism. His work is the infilling with the Holy Spirit at that time. And so then the, the job is to figure out life, right? To figure out what does it mean to live now? Because I have died and I have been reborn. And now I have a new life. And that new life belongs to him because it's completely owed to him. And now how do I live in light of that? And that's the important thing. And the important thing is to always hold fast to the promises as though they had been fulfilled because they have. We're to have the faith of Abraham. We're to walk that out all of our lives with joy and with gratitude and thanksgiving because the work has been done. And because the work has been done, the future is certain.